Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. So excited to be again in the book of Jeremiah. You know those little lights on the dashboard of your car that go on when you're out of gas? <laughs> I've never seen that before, but, uh, but they, they have those. Uh, that was Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he was the warning light for the Jews. If you had to put him just in a picture, that would be him. For over 40 years, his life, his whole life, from a young man, very young man when he was called by the Lord, it was all about telling people that the path that they were on, the sinful lives that they were living, cannot keep going on forever. This thing's going to get empty. It's going to fall apart. It's going to be all done. And God's, God's going to be done with it. And by and large, everyone ignored that light on the dashboard that was Jeremiah. Today, what we're going to do is, Lord willing, we're going to come to the end of Jeremiah. We're going to try to finish it out today. Chapters 1 through 45 were mostly warnings to Judah. And, and then God moved to other nations, but, uh, but I did want to just mention something about that. I heard one teacher say, you know, the book of Jeremiah is like, um, is like a father who, who uh, caught his, his son and the neighbor kid uh, smoking a cigarette together. And uh, boy, he took his son home and laid into that kid, made sure, you know, he, he, but then the neighbor kid he went afterwards and, and had a talk with also. He said that's what Jeremiah is like. 45 chapters to his own child <laughs> and then a few chapters to the neighbor kid too. And that's kind of what Jeremiah is. He gave 45 chapters to his own people. God is coming. God is not happy. There is a nation that is going to come from the north and take over. That nation is Babylon. They're going to take you captive. They're going to destroy the land. And that's what Jeremiah's message was. And it happened just as he said. Chapter 46 was to Egypt in the south. Chapter 47 was to the Philistines in the west. Chapter 48 was to Moab in the east. And 49 was to several other Gentile nations in the region that were their neighbors. And now we're going to come to chapters 50 and 51. 50 and 51 are written to the famous Babylon itself. God has a word and a day of reckoning for Babylon also. Here's a side note, chapter 52, which is the last chapter, is a recap, really, of the book of Jeremiah. And in some of those places in that chapter, most of it is a verbatim re repeat of chapter 39, which we've already gone through, the fall of Jerusalem. So I'm thinking what would be best is for next week, we're going to, Lord willing, jump right into the book of Lamentations, okay? So, chapters 50 and 51, they are against Babylon, and they were given to Jeremiah, these prophecies, very long chapters, so he had a lot to say, a lot of repeats, though, in those two chapters, but God was getting his point across. They were against Babylon, they were given to Jeremiah during the days of King Zedekiah, 
when Zedekiah was still king in Jerusalem, Babylon had not fully destroyed Jerusalem as of yet. And in fact, this morning, I'm going to start off this with a little story. So here's what happened. After several deportations, uh, Babylon had already come in once and come in twice and had established other puppet kings there in Jerusalem. But he had taken waves of captives each time. As you remember, probably that Daniel was in the first wave, and then there were some other people that came in the other waves there. So uh, these several waves went out, but they weren't all, Jerusalem wasn't destroyed yet. They were still intact. And the last king of Judah was still there, Zedekiah. Well, Zedekiah decided that he would rebel against Babylon, so he gets involved in an alliance with some other nations to overthrow Babylon. But as they were going through, they realized this plan's not going to work, and so they aborted the plan, but not before Nebuchadnezzar heard about it. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, uh, <clears throat> sends some, some, uh, some people over to Jerusalem saying, uh, King Zedekiah, I, I need to have a meeting with you. This little alliance you guys are trying is not, uh, not something I want. You come here to Babylon, we're going to talk about this. So Zedekiah's servants get everything ready. They're loading up the horses. They're getting all the stuff ready to leave to make the journey to Babylon. And Jeremiah walks up to one of the servants of Zedekiah. His name was Sariah. He was the brother of Baruch. Baruch was Jeremiah's right-hand man. Sariah is the quartermaster, which is the servant who's in charge of preparing the quarters for the king, the rooms, as they would travel. He would be getting everything ready so the king could sleep and and have his own quarters. Well, Jeremiah walks up to him and hands him a scroll. And here's where we're going to pick up in the scripture here. Look at Jeremiah chapter 51, chap, or verse 61. So Jeremiah 51, 61. This is toward the end, but it kind of builds into what we're going to talk about. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When thou comest to Babylon, and shalt see, and shalt read all these words, he hands him a scroll, says you're going to see, you're going to read all these words. Then shalt thou say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but, it, but that it shall be desolate forever. And it shall be, when thou hast made an end of reading this book, or this scroll, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates. And thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink, and shalt not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah told Sariah, take this scroll, read it, pray in front of everybody, and then tie a rock to it and throw it in the Euphrates. And what was written on this scroll? that is now at the bottom of the Euphrates. Well, that's exactly what we're gonna look at today because there was another copy made. It is now known as Jeremiah 50 and 51. These are the words that he took to Babylon and then threw into the river Euphrates. And we're gonna read them today, or a lot lot of them. And we'll see that it's about a coming day of judgment to Babylon. And just 
the picture there at the end, the, the object lesson is very clear. Just as this scroll sunk to the bottom, so will Babylon sink and will not rise again. Babylon had been God's instrument of judgment against the Jews and, and against many other nations. But soon Babylon would be judged themselves for their evil defiance, their arrogance, their violence, their sin. And one more thing to remember is that not all of the prophecies in these chapters, Jeremiah 50 and 51, have been fulfilled yet. There's a double meaning here. In fact, these chapters are best understood when we take the prophecy principle of double meaning or near and far, some people have called the principle of near and far, or even better, what I like now and later, like the candy, you know. There's a, there's a fulfillment now, and there's also another fulfillment later. Jeremiah 50, 51 has a close connection, very close connection to Revelation 18 and 19. You want to write that down? It's fine. You can read those later and see how closely they are connected. But Jeremiah was prophesying about things that would happen to ancient Babylon way in, at that time of Jeremiah, and that would happen only in a, less than 50 years in the future. But he was also, maybe unbe, unbeknownst to even him, he was talking about things that God wanted people to know about future Babylon. Look and see if this is familiar, as a matter of fact. Look how close to this, this next verse is connected. Revelation 18 and verse 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, thus with violence shalt that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Very similar to what we just saw in the book of Jeremiah. This is so similar to the passage uh, and, and in the last days, Babylon, just for our quick understanding here, because we just don't have time to get into all of this, but in the last days, that is in Revelation here, in the time when God is judging the earth, Babylon was the name that God used for the religious, the political, and the economic systems of the world. These, all these world systems that are growing right now, that are diametrically opposed to God, that are going to gather in this one place, God's going to hold this world accountable for every evil and every atrocity that's ever been committed. And Babylon is the picture of all of that. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you disappointed in what evil governments are doing in this world? <laughs> Figured some of you might be. Then you should appreciate these chapters because that God's going to do away with all of that. And he's going to judge. There is a day coming. But as, I, as a reminder, and we'll get to this, but there is a way for every person who comes to Jesus to have their sins forgiven and to escape that great day of judgment. Amen. And hallelujah for that. Because these chapters are so long and our time's so short this morning, we're going to look at the six main themes that are kind of repeated over and over. The verses are scattered throughout. They're not in thematic chunks. So we're going to grab those verses, bring them together to show the themes that we just continue to see in chapters 15 and 51. All right, so here we go. Themes of the prophecy to Babylon. Number one, the gods of Babylon will be powerless to save them. When God comes to judge Babylon, their gods will be powerless. Look in chapter 50 and verse 2. Declare ye. God says to Jeremiah, declare ye, and Jeremiah writes it down, declare ye among the nations and publish and set up a standard, publish and conceal it not. Say, Babylon is taken, 
Bel, that is a god, is confounded. Merodach is broken in pieces. Her idols are confounded. Her images are broken in pieces. Bel, B-E-L, is the title of the storm god, the Babylonian storm god, Enlil. And Meroduk, or another name Marduk, became the head of the Babylonian pantheon of gods. He was the number one of all their gods when they had many, many, many gods. But later, Marduk got the title Bel also. I like what somebody said, God's going to ring their bell. <laughs> but the, the word for idols is an unusual one here in this verse. There's actually many words for idols in the Old Testament, but this one literally in Hebrew means dung droppings. It's actually kind of a vile word. God is saying that their idols are literally dung. They are completely worthless. Maybe this is why the Apostle Paul in the New Testament said the things that he, I used to live for in my past, the things I gave my life to in the past, were like dung <laughs> compared to Jesus. And when you boil it all down, it is that foolish to trust in an idol. Today, as, as we've reminded ourselves going throughout Jeremiah, today an idol is something that we magnify, something that we take solace in, or something that we give our lives to here in the moment, but have no real power in the end to help us. But we, we really latch on to these things and love them, but they have no real power. And Babylon was the idol capital of the world. Look at verse 38 of chapter 50. A drought is upon her waters, and they shall be dried up, for it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. <laughs> Babylon was the goat of idol worship. As I, as I mentioned, God even uses Babylon as the representation in the, in the end times of all the false religions of the world, really, in the book of Revelation. Babylon is sort of that, uh, that symbol of evil. And it says here that they were mad upon their idols, meaning they were insane with their idol worship. I mean, it's everywhere. Madly in love with something that had no power to help them. And you know, it is so sad when people go so far, they become unreasonably attached to fictitious concepts. And, and they treat things that they've come up with in their head, whether it's at university or whether it's, uh, or whether it's in some mystical Eastern religion. They get so attached and they treat it like truth. Some of the Eastern religions, some of the people we are familiar with and know, some of the things they do, are, this is the only word for it is mad. It's insane that you think going through these little series of things is actually going to help you in the end. It's the only word to use is mad, the Bible word. It's insane. Verses 17 and 19 of chapter 51, look what God says. Every man, talking about Babylon, is brutish by his knowledge. Every founder or every metalsmith is confounded by the graven image. For his molten image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are vanity, the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. God is saying that the people that believe in these idols simply have a lack of intelligence. They're brutish by their knowledge. They're, they're not smart. They, they, knew, they know the idols that are made with their own hands. 
think about this, humans. This is something you have created with your own hand. This is something, a concept that you have come up with in your own head. And now you're treating it like it has power over you. You have power over it. And so they're gonna be confounded when their gods cannot protect them in that last day. When God comes in and it's time for judgment day, they're, what? How did our idols not help us? Because the real God of power has just showed up. I, I'm sorry for this little reference. It kind of just makes me think this way. It reminds me of what Woody said to Buzz Lightyear in the original Toy Story. <laughs> you are a toy. <laughs> That's what I want to tell somebody. This is an idol. This, you, this is just a little plaything. This is not a God. Stop. And God is sure to draw that contrast in the next verse. Look at verse 19. The portion of Jacob, that is God's, another name of God, the portion of Jacob is not like them. For he is the former of all things. And Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. What a great description of God right there. The God of Bible is much different than these man-made concepts and myths. He is the former, as theologians and apologists remind us, he is the self-existing first cause, or he is the uncaused first cause of all things it says here. He is transcendent. So if all the universe is in a box, all the planets, all the galaxies, the earth, everything, if it's all in a box, let's say, God is outside the box. God is not in the box. He works inside the box, and he's in the box in the sense that he, he's doing things in the box, but God is transcendent. He is the former of all things, He's the one who's first. And it says Israel is his chosen people. And Jehovah Saba, or the God of hosts, is his name. The God of armies is what that means. You know, the world is gonna continue to make up gods to suit themselves. They're gonna keep doing it. They'll invent theories to try to explain them away like Darwinian evolution. They'll chant in some monastery for decades. They'll crawl on their knees for, uh, for penance. But all those things will be powerless in the end. They'll be powerless in the end. Because as it says here, the portion of Jacob is not like them. It's not like those things. It's not like anything that anybody can make up with their head. And just as Babylon fa fell, so will all these gods fall. The next big theme that we see in these chapters is that the land of Babylon will be devastated by enemies from the north. He says it over and over again. Chapter 50 and verse three, for, for out of the north there cometh a nation against her which shall make her land desolate and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. For lo, verse nine now, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country and they shall set themselves in array against her. From thence she shall be taken, their arrows shall be as of a mighty expert man None shall return in vain. Then the prophecy gets even more specific and names that people group that will come from the north in chapter 51, verse 11. Again, this is about 50 years from this happening. Make bright the arrows, gather the shields. The Lord hath raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, for his device is against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple. Verse 28. 
prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, the captains thereof, and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion. Now, if you remember back when we were, when God was giving his uh, prophecy to his own people, Judah, Babylon itself was once called the land from the north that would come in and take over Judah. Now, Babylon itself is going to be defeated by a group of an alliance of nations that will come down from the north. The Medes and the Persians, a great alliance from the northeast. And in Jeremiah, this is the first mention of the Medes as the agent that God was going to use to destroy Babylon. Now, the Medes were an ancient people. They were descendants of Noah's son, Japheth. And they settled in the territory just northwest of Persia, which is north which is on a modern map right now, would be Iran. Their capital was Ekbatana. And in 550 BC, King Cyrus of Persia captured the capital, united the two kingdoms, Persia and, and Media, and became Medo-Persia. Now again, historically, everything predicted here in these chapters was not fulfilled when that Persian king, Cyrus, took the city of Babylon without a fight. They actually snuck in under the walls and figured out a way to get in there. But the city was not destroyed itself until Alexander the Great came in 330 BC. Cyrus, before that, just made it uh, just another uh, place for his Persian empire. But remember, that is the very place that Daniel was even while those Persian kings were there. And he served as one of their top officials. So, this is when he's talking about a complete devastation of Babylon, we can see already that God is speaking of someday in the future. Ancient Babylon was overthrown as a nation, but later the entire desolation will come. Again, that points us to Revelation. Now, whether people believe Jeremiah or not, his prophecies came true. Babylon itself, as a nation, plunged like a rock to the bottom of the Euphrates. And here's just a quick lesson in all of that. And this nation, these nations from the north that are going to come down and take Babylon. I think God was sending a message to Babylon and the world that a victory or success in the past that you've had, that God has allowed you to have, does not mean endless victory and success in the future. You might have been on top for a while, Babylon, but that was God allowing it. That was not you. And there's always someone else in the north who, who God can bring to wipe you out. <laughs> Michael Jordan didn't last forever, okay? Tom Brady, not even Tom Brady can last forever. And nobody, nobody can last forever without God's hand. The third theme here then is this. And, and you know, there's so many people that get arrogant and proud and that's what God's gonna deal with here in just a moment with them. This is, and this is the good news in all this judgment in the book of Jeremiah. Number three, the fall of Je Babylon will signal the restoration of Israel. At the same time they're going to be de being destroyed, Israel's going to be restored. Verse, or chapter 50 and verse 4, In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. They shall go and seek the Lord their God. Verse five, they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. 
This is the great promise of glorious liberation and restoration of God's people. Yes, God was going to deliver them out of Babylonian captivity, but there was something even greater here that God was promising. Note that, that, note that phrase there, in those days and in that time. The Lord promised someday in the future, I'm gonna set my people free from all of their enemies, and I'm gonna set them free from their enemy, Babylon. But keep in mind that, the, again, not only was it now, but there's also a, a later on down the road fulfillment. The Lord's looking far ahead to those events that were gonna take place in the end times. In those days and in that time, the Lord will deliver all believers, all believers, both Jews and Gentiles, from all the Babylons of the world. He'll set them free and take them home to receive their inheritance. He and the, the kingdom, he, they're gonna be in the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of heaven. And look what it says, they're gonna be going and weeping. It shows the heart, it shows, that shows the heart of the people who are gonna be restored. It's a heart of genuine repentance. Going and weeping. Thank you, Lord. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this restoration, but you've done it. You have done it. And you're just weeping all the way into that restoration. God's bringing them back so that they can seek the Lord, so they'll worship the Lord and join him, as it says, in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. What amazing promise. Not only for the Jews that were gonna be coming out of Babylon, but for all of us that, have, that know the Lord, that one day we're gonna be with him. For all those captive Jews who are hearing this prophecy as Sariah was speaking it and reading it from the book of Jeremiah, he says when the time comes to leave this bondage, when the time comes to leave this place, don't hesitate. When you see God doing all this, it's time to go. Look at verse eight. Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he goats before the flocks. I'm told I'm no goat expert, and there's probably some goat experts in here. I am told that male goats are the first one out of the gate when you open the gate. God tells the captives, run like a male goat when God opens that door of deliverance. When it's time to go, go! Verse 33, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together, and all that took them captive held them fast. They refused to let them go. Look at verse 34, one of the great verses in the Bible. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He shall thoroughly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. Texas, the state, has a famous slogan. Don't mess with Texas. Jeremiah says this, don't mess with Israel. More specifically, don't mess with Israel's God because their Redeemer is strong. Amen. The Lord of hosts is his name. He shall thoroughly plead their cause. Remember, Jeremiah is sending this prophecy at the height of Babylon's power. Babylon has the hanging gardens, the famous Ishtar gate, and all the rest of her wonders. And here's this one little frail, weeping prophet from Jerusalem that writes a prophecy to him. And he writes a very elaborate letter about what Jehovah God was going to do to this mighty nation. And I'm sure, I'm sure most of the people who heard that being read from this little prophet thought, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Do you see the wealth and the power of this nation? But little did they know that within 50 years, that nation would be nothing. 
You know, from a historical perspective, when we look back on history, the fall of Babylon is a story of one of the greatest defeats in history. How could a mighty nation fall? Nobody saw that coming. But as I'm sure you'll re- uh, agree with me here, every superpower throughout time seems like they've had to learn this one lesson. And that is, don't mess with this little nation on the Mediterranean coast. Do not mess with that nation. Their redeemer is strong. Their God is mighty. Don't take it for granted. G. Campbell Morgan said, let it never be forgotten that God has not cast off his people, though he chastised them. And whatever nation persecutes them, sooner or later knows the fire of divine wrath. Pay attention, America, pay attention. Chapter 51 and verse 10, the Lord has brought forth our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Ye that have escaped, verse 50 now, ye that have escaped the sword, go away. Stand not still, remember the Lord afar off and let Jerusalem come into your mind. I love that. Babylon is the city, again, that represents all the anti-God world systems out there. But Zion, or Jerusalem, is the city that represents God's way and God's rule and God's kingdom. So there's two representative cities. And God tells the captives, let Jerusalem come into your mind. For so many years, the captives there in Babylon would think of their old homeland, Jerusalem, and just weep. We're never going back again. But now you can think about it with joy. God has said, I'm gonna restore you. I'm gonna bring you back. You'll soon be there again. And every burdened Jewish mom who lost her son in the battles, every wife who was left widowed, every orphan without parents, God was saying, think of the day of your restoration. Go ahead, think of it. Go ahead, think of it. Let Jerusalem come into your mind. It's obvious to me that God wants us to think of the future that he has planned for his people. He wants us to think about that. No matter what we're going through right now, Remember and let Jerusalem come into your mind. Remember the Lord and let heaven come into your mind. If you're a believer feeling captive in this world. Think of new Jerusalem. Number four, violence of Babylon will be avenged. We'll get through these. And Chaldea shall be a spoil. All that spoil her shall be satisfied because you were glad, because you rejoiced. O ye destroyers of mine heritage, because you're grown fat as the heifer at grass, and bellow as bulls. See, the problem with Babylon is that they rejoiced in destroying God's heritage. They rejoiced in the killing of men, women, and children. They rejoiced in the destruction of the temple. They rejoiced as they were looting and burning homes and destroying Jerusalem completely. Babylon took pleasure in this, and this made God angry. God was using them, but they were taking pleasure in this, and God will avenge that that motive. Verse 14, but put yourselves in array against Babylon round about all ye that bend the bow. Shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she hath sinned against the Lord. Shout against her round about. She hath given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down, for it is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance upon her. As she hath done, do unto her. She has sinned, God is saying, and it is time for vengeance. As we know, the famous verse, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. As she hath done, 
so do unto her. Chapter 50, verse 28, the voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, the vengeance of his temple. Babylon's army famously reduced the temple of the Lord to rubble, stole all the sacred items, took them back to Babylon and uh, melted them down and did all sorts of horrible things. But it's not smart to mess with God's house. Don't mess with God's house. Verse 29, call together the archers against Babylon. All you that bend the bow, camp against it round about. Let none thereof escape. Recompense her according to her work. According to all that she hath done, do unto her. For she hath been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. We're looking here at the justice of God. And I'm gonna, don't have time to look at every verse, but can I just mention this, that God sees every violent act that is done on this earth, every single one. Sometimes these days, the victims of violence are forgotten by people, but not with God, not with God. He will avenge every victim of every heinous crime. Some of these things that we hear these days make us very angry, these injustices to people, and this, this some of the things that the uh, the crimes that are committed against children and other people. But don't worry, as I, as I mentioned, God is not blind to any of it. With Babylon, all this violence and all this power made them arrogant, and they felt untouchable. God hasn't done anything. God's, and they just got more and more and more and more arrogant, more money, more stuff. And number five, the arrogance of Babylon will be brought low. Look at chapter 15, verse 31. Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud, saith the Lord of God of hosts, for thy day is come, the time that I will visit thee. And the most proud shall stumble and fall, and none shall raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it shall devour all round about him. Verse, or chapter 51, verse 13, O thou that dwellest upon many waters, abundant in treasures, thine end is come, and the measure of thy covetousness. Verse 41, how is Shishak taken, that's a code name or a nickname for Babylon, how is the praise of the whole earth surprised? How has Babylon become an astonishment among the nations? Though Babylon, verse 53, should mount up to heaven, and though she should fortify the height of her strength, yet from me shall spoilers come unto her, saith the Lord. Uh, Babylon's namesake is Babel. That's where they get their name, the Tower of Babel. God will not allow this nation or any wicked world system to mount up to heaven and go unpunished. I just send out a warning. Take notice, Russia. Take notice, China. Take notice, United States of America. No one can get so big, so proud that God can't take them out. And lastly, number six, the fate of Babylon has worldwide significance. With the language that's used in these chapters, something very clear begins to emerge as you read it. As we kind of mentioned too at the beginning, mentioned at the beginning, Jeremiah's prophecy is about more than just this one place and this one point in history. Jeremiah was writing, but it was much, much bigger. Look at verse seven of chapter 51. Babylon has been a golden cup in the Lord's hand. So God had used them to pour out his judgment on other nations that made all the earth drunken, it said. The nations have drunken of her wine. Therefore, the nations are mad. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Howl for her, take balm for her pain. If so be, she may be healed. 
We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her, and let us go every one into his own country, for her judgment reacheth unto heaven, and is lifted up even to the skies. And then look at verse 48 and 49 now. Then the heaven and the earth and all that is therein shall sing for Babylon, for the spoilers shall come unto her from the north, saith the Lord. As Babylon hath caused the slain of Israel to to fall, so at Babylon shall fall the slain of all the earth, of all the earth. As you can see, this is hinting at more than just one nation being punished. This is God talking about something massive on a global scale. This is God doing something in the end. That's gonna, that's gonna be the, uh, the ultimate judgment from the Lord. And again, that leads us to Re- Revelation 18 and 19 and what Babylon symbolizes. Today, it's all those systems that people gather around that are one day going to be destroyed. We might call it humanism, selfish pride, love of money, wokeism, hatred of God's word, violence in the heart, murder of babies, sexual perversion, all that's tied up in the world, all of the stuff, and that's what's gonna be tied to a rock and thrown into the river never to rise again. As I close here, there's a story that Warren Wearsby tells about, uh, in the old days, uh, a wagon that's being pulled by horses, and there was a little boy inside this wagon, The horses got spooked and they started to run out of control. And a young man on his horse saw what was happening and saw the boy in great danger, so he jumped on his horse and and risked his life to ride up next to that wagon. And he jumped out of the wagon, stopped the the horses, and saved the boy. Well, later, that little boy, as he grew up, became a hardened criminal. Violent, he became a murderer, And one day, he stood before a judge. And lo and behold, that judge that he stood before, he recognized. It was the the young man that had saved his life many years earlier. And the criminal recognized him and said, oh my goodness, can I plead for mercy? And he began to plead, plead his case. Give me mercy. The judge then said to him, son, many years ago, I was your savior but now I am your judge. Therefore, I sentence you to be hanged. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came as the Savior, and he gave his life for people. But the next time Jesus comes, he will be the judge. And the only way for us to change our citizenship from Babylon to Jerusalem is to accept the free gift that he gave us 2,000 years ago by dying on a cross. It's only by accepting that payment for our sins. Through Jesus Christ, we are welcome into a home in heaven and we escape God's wrath. That is the only way. That is the only way. And the world has nothing in comparison that can help us in that day. Lord, today we lift our... We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. 
from all of us here at the Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.